You are listening to Aging Issues Radio and Joe Soricelli. This is the station that will help you age into and through retirement. We bring advice and education on all of the issues that we face as we get older, offering financial and life strategies. Hope you enjoy the subject matter and our down-to-earth and simple solutions to the problems we all eventually face. While the issues are not unique, the solutions are for you. Joe Soricelli coming to you live from 101 Mobility with Glenn Shapiro. This is a follow-up to the last recording that we did, which answered the question, should I stay or should I go? Basically a housing decision. You see, most people want to stay in their house, but sometimes you can't, or sometimes you can adapt the house to let you live in it longer. You see, there's alternatives. Sometimes the neighborhood, it's because I want to stay in the neighborhood. Sometimes it's because I you know, want to stay in the house with my spouse. It, there's lots of reasons why you want to stay in the house. And then there are reasons why you might want to move because physically you can't stay in the house because you know something? Steps look taller, right? Uh, entryways aren't safe. The first thing that I always tell people, is it a safe environment? And can we create a safe environment? And then if, if not, if we can create the safe environment, what do we have to do? And how much do we have to do? What I unfortunately find out that in many cases, it becomes a financial decision. That's the background that we talk about. That's why we talk about financial, you know, uh, life stages and the financial implications. Because if you go to a nursing home, it could cost you $15,000 a year. You go to assisted living, high-end assisted not low end, someplace that you would like to live. It's $14,000, $15,000 a month, right? $180,000 a year. How many years can you afford to live there? If you, if you can, it's hotel style living and maybe it's the greatest thing in the world. But most people like their homes. Now let's figure out with Glenn, you know, what can you do in a home that lets you continue to live in it? I just want to add that the staying at home allows you to keep the same doctors, keep the same resources, keep the same drugstores, keep uh, the, the family that you know and love, uh, the children and the grandchildren. There's a load of reasons to stay. Of course, there's a load of reasons to go too. Uh, but our focus is on trying to make staying home a safer, happier, healthier, and even more independent form of living than can possibly have by changing venues, by, by, by moving. So we love to help people stay in their home and enjoy what they've grown comfortable with throughout their life. That's, that's really the key because if I like where I live and I'm functioning, sometimes I just need the assistance. I just need that bit of help. Sometimes it's a professional, right? And that professional even needs tools or equipment to help care for you. Uh, but all of a sudden I want you know, I want my life to stay as similar as it's been for the last 20, 30, 40 years. I don't want to, you know, have my, I enjoy having my grandchildren over the house, right? They're not going to feel the same way if they go into some sort of a facility. It just, it's not the same. I, you know, my, my grandchild is not going to run and jump on my lap in, you know, in a nursing home or, about, you know, or some other facility. But I also want to talk about conception. 
you and I had a conversation about five years ago, and you, you know, maybe six years ago, we were talking about uh, perception. And you brought up a story and you said, sometimes, you know, nursing homes or facilities, I'll use it as a generic, you know, scenario, there's, uh, there's low end, there's high end, there's, but specifically a nursing home, right? Sometimes feels almost like a zoo. Well, uh, there's good analogies to zoos and bad analogies to zoos. And the, the, the thing I love to recall is when I was a kid, I used to go to the Bronx Zoo. And I loved seeing the monkeys in particular, but they were in tight cages. And because they were in tight cages, it seemed they were hostile. They were not happy little monkeys. And uh, it turns out somebody over time realized that putting animals in their natural habitat is a key to making animals succeed in a zoo. They become more docile, more social, they reproduced better in a zoo when they had their natural habitat. They ate better as well, and they socialized better. And to me, it drove home a very, very important point that uh, if you are free in your natural environment, free to enjoy what you've enjoyed naturally, what you're programmed to do, you certainly are going to do better. And as the zookeepers found out now across the nation, natural habitat produces happier animals and they live longer and they are healthier. And boy, does the same analogy hold true for people. Give them what they're grown used to, what makes them happy, and they live longer and more happily. That's the key. There was a, there was a, everybody has seen Rocky movie. And what is the argument, the glimmer in the eye, that when you're caged and you're not happy, you lose the glimmer in your eye. I want people to keep that glimmer. I'm going to say, you know, I have to say, I deal deal from the financial perspective uh, as well as the care perspective. First and foremost, safety, right? Safety, making sure it can work. That, that, That is simply... The, the first and foremost, if you can't live in your house for various reasons because it's not safe, that's an important piece. But you know something? There's an overlay with financials because not everybody can afford the modifications. Not everybody can afford, you know, different, you know, options that can convert a property or a housing situation into a very livable, safe environment. No doubt that's true. Um, and sometimes insurance will help pay for some of those modifications, but insurance tends to focus on what's called activities of daily living, ADLs. ADLs. And the ADLs are very, very restrictive in and of themselves. As long as there's a way to get food, as long as there's a way to toilet, as long as there's shelter, as long as there's a bedroom, it doesn't really matter to the people who assess ADLs whether you can tuck Johnny in at night in his bedroom, which happens to be on another floor than yours, even though you've been doing that all your life. The idea of resuming your normal social emotional activities doesn't enter into the equation when insurance assesses activities of daily living. So I've become a little hostile towards activities of daily living because I don't think it does enough to help people enjoy their lives. Um, We try to give people much more than that, a real sense of independence 
gaining as much mobility and as much independence as they had before their injury or their aging uh, to try to make them feel as if they are as comfortable as they were before whatever got them into their current state. I address it and 100% as I will say in favor of what you have just discussed, making life, keeping life as as, uh, similar as it was before. But I always tell people it's stages. And it's sometimes you can bridge from one stage to the other with some help. I can't guarantee that you're never going to be, you know, need 24 seven, not be able to get out of the bed, but it's, it's little things. You talk about activities of daily living. I, do, I live with them all the time because I deal with Medicare, Medicaid, and long-term care, right? So we're, sit, we're sitting in lift chairs. One of the first things that, you know, one of the activities of daily living is called transference, right? I often sit back and say, can you get out of this chair and walk across and get into a bathroom if you need to? That's a transferring skill. And then you have toileting skills. You have all these things that you sit. They are the ba- they are the bare bones, right? The activities of daily living, of quality of life. But you can enhance them. Instead of you know needing somebody to pull you out of the chair, you can hit a button and be lifted out of the chair. And as long as you mentioned that, it, it brings to mind that a lot of what we do is not only for the patient, but it's also for the caregiver. Because that person who's pulling you out of a chair, should they hurt their back and now you're both injured, what happens? It is statistically shown that caregivers unfortunately predecease or get injured than the person that they are providing care. Uh, I am my we have I have a case in Florida right now that uh, the caregiver unexpectedly and, and I'm not going to say unexpectedly because the ultimate diagnosis right, said he was in pain, right? But he had a cancer episode that he had to be in pain. And after it was diagnosed, he lived three months. He had been taking care of his wife for the last 10 years. This He passed away in March. She passed away this month, right? Now, family stepped up as best they could. But that caregiver, and I'm really focusing on that, that caregiver probably ignored medical issues that he was feeling in order to, you know, continue to care for his wife. It's not an uncommon story. Oh, absolutely. We always try to care for the patient and the caregiver at the same time and try to make sure that they both can live symbiotically off of each other without hurting each other, but helping each other. And oftentimes the patient doesn't realize that the caregiver is going to be hurt, disabled, injured, uh, or just have problems because of the care they're giving. So it's a, it's a two-way street. And everything that I'm, you know, we're sitting in around, and, you know, maybe I'll pan around in a little bit, but uh, there, are, there are ways to assist in so many ways. Right. I'm staring at electric wheelchairs, scooters, right, uh, lifts, stair, stair, you know, stair climbers. I'll say stair climbers, you know, stair lifts, elevators there. There when you have the opportunity to change the environment, to make it safer 
and easier because I use, I use a very classic example. Uh, 20 years ago, I used to have to carry my father-in-law, right, who was a big man at the time and lost a lot of weight, carry him down from the front of his house, down a, a stairs. Initially, it would be, I would help him. And we all have been there where you, when you're walking with a senior citizen or a person that has some sort of impairment, right? You, you, you begin to, we used to call it the flying V, that you had a person in front, person on each side. So that as you went walking, it was almost like the flying V that you, would, you were going down, that if somebody, if, and if you were going downstairs, right? Always be in front, not behind, sure. right? You know, little things you learn in this business and we teach and people teach you. But guess what? If there was a chairlift, it's like, all right, all you gotta do is buckle them in and hit a button, right? And it's not like it's a prohibitively expensive item, right? And again, everything is relative. If you if you if you have assets of a hundred thousand dollars and income of, of social security only and whatever, and have income of forty or fifty, yeah, sometimes things become prohibitively expensive. And that's when you have to say, I can't adapt to this environment. I have to sell, I have to move to a safer environment. But if you can adapt the environment, right? You got all these resources. I, I, I mean, you know, it, it's amazing what's available. And just in the five years since I've been dealing with you, it's amazing what's available. And we often try to find ways to make things affordable, affordable, whether it's uh, on a payment plan, whether we sell used but uh, reconditioned products. Uh, we usually can find a way to make something affordable where it's needed. It's the affordability is is big piece because I don't care what anybody does in life. There's always a financial decision that's associated with it. Sure. No doubt about it. Right. So while I am an advocate of, of, of adapting property, I also sit back and say to people is if we can buy another two or three years in this house and it costs you $30,000 to make cheap the renovations that are required, right? In some cases, it's just $30,000 that your kids aren't going to get, right? Uh, and I'm, I'm cold on that side because, you know, if your kids are planning uh, are figuring out how to spend your money, you got a problem, right? If your kids, you know, fully support you staying in the house, and sometimes uh, if you can ad adapt the house and make it safe, they do. But other times, you know, I'm brought in to turn around and say, you got to move. You got to move. But, uh, you know, it's everything from a recent situation that uh, Glenn and I worked on where we were dismantling a house that a person was li lived in. But it had everything from ramps to electric wheelchairs to, uh, you know, to Hoyer lifts to a, a hospital bed to all of the other smaller ancillary pieces that are needed that I have to say the small stuff, it's funny. The small stuff, Medicare pays for it like that. You need, you need a bench for you need a, a, a commode, they'll pay for it. You need this, they'll pay for it. A Hoyer lift, not always, sometimes, right? Uh, an electric wheelchair, and that's usually on you. Sometimes you can get Medicare to pay for it. But that's also where you retain people that understand the business, not a one-off. And don't always assume you can't get some help in reimbursement for something. Absolutely. I'm not going to tell you you're going to get 100% because it's sort of like, okay, a Yugo, well, a Yugo, it's been a long time since there's been a Yugo on the road, but a, uh, or a Ford Pinto or any of the other, but let's take one of the most, the least expensive cars you can think about. 
it will get you from point A to point B. True. Right. And then you have the Escalade or whatever else that will also get you from point A to point B. Medicare may, might talk about reimbursing you for that low priced car Correct. or assisting you. And if you want to upgrade, you have a basis. Yeah, you have, you know, you have a choice. You have 10%, 20%, 30%, whatever it may be. But the key is making the space livable because the goal here is age in place, not age in a nursing home, not age here, you know, not age in another place, age in your place, age in your place. But, and I always reference it every client, every time we go in. It may be for a period of time because there may come a, a, a time that we just can't provide the adequate care for you in this house, or it may just not be safe, but you can modify a hell of a lot to make it safe. I love the five, I'll be honest with you, I didn't realize the vacuum, the new ones can do five stories. Yeah. Right. And just for yourself, everybody here usually has a base, most, most people's houses have a basement, a first floor, and a second floor. Could be an attic, could be other you know distances, but the first set of elevators that I was aware of did one floor. Right now, if you can do three floors, that means you can you can come in through the garage and be brought up to the, the bedroom if necessary. And it's funny you said that. I always prefer the garage as the entry point because it's weatherproof. So whenever we're trying to analyze what's the best solutions for this house, given these people and their capabilities, we always start by saying, can the garage be a useful entry point where it's weatherproof, where you don't have to worry about rain or snow? Uh, oftentimes people jump right to, I need a ramp in my front of my house. And I'll say, well, let's take a quick look at your garage. Let's take a quick look at other exits. Uh, I tend to avoid putting ramps in the front of the house because it promotes the fact that a disabled person lives here. And that could be for somebody who isn't uh, the nicest person in the world to say, I've got an easy prey here. I've got a disabled person. So we, we try not to put that in the front of the house. Uh, there are so many alternatives and there's so many tricks of the trade that help to understand this is the best way. And we love to help people find the best ways. You know what we're really talking about besides just the best ways, which this all revolves around? is create a plan. What are, you know, first off, what are the goals? When, it, when you do planning, you sit back and say, here's what I want to accomplish. I want to get from point A to point B. I want to make this a safer house. I want to do whatever it is. So let's create, you know, a plan. Not that it's the final plan, but let's create a plan that will allow us to, you know, there, uh, get to the goal. Now, if the goal can't be accomplished, then, you know, you have to change, you know, the overall plan, right? If the goal can be accomplished and in a way that everybody agrees, and sometimes alternatives, it's not that you have to go to, you know, go, you know, down this street, that street, and this street, maybe you go down this street, that street, and a different street, right? But there's a way of getting to the ultimate goal. Sure. And if the ultimate goal is we want to stay in the house, one-on-one one mobility can help and pretty much can convert almost anything. Right for a price, always have to put it that way because it's not in it, and it is not a single, uh, I'll say, not a single contractor or person that's involved because sometimes you have to do major renovations. Um, before you know, I had a client that didn't want to put a ramp in front of their house, 
and it was cosmetics more than anything else. Right. We added four feet of topsoil on a retaining wall. We eliminated the, four, the, the steps in front of the house by mm-hmm. just raising the entire front yard and sure. basically creating a walkway that was a ramp that, you know, instead of having an aluminum ramp or a wooden ramp or whatever else in the front. And, you know, it actually made the house look better because it, it took out that little bottom piece of foundation that everybody, a lot of people have. Yep. Right. Uh, and we did have to do, you know, window wells and we had to do, you know, other things, but it was a landscaping issue. And it wasn't cheap. It was $10,000 to do what we had to do with all the front, the stonework and all the other stuff. But it accomplished the goal in a way that nobody else had thought about. It's like, why can't you raise the front yard? You can. Coming up with different solutions that to meet the needs of the people and the situation, it's, it's problem solving. And uh, you sometimes need professional problem solvers working with you. And we like to think that's what we are. And I'm going to even focus something that you just said. I'm doing a fiduciary presentation uh, this evening for attorneys because attorneys are fiduciaries in in cases. They try to uh, delegate or share their fiduciary responsibilities right, with other professionals sure. that should be experts in their field. They should right. have a thorough knowledge of, of what the issues are and uh, bring in a team of experts where necessary. And more importantly, as you say, experts, when you start talking about changing a house or doing something of that nature you don't talk to your brother-in-law <laughs> unless he's unless he's an engineer architect whatever else you don't talk to the neighbor who said oh i got a chair i got a chairlift and it worked out great talk to somebody that can walk you through the stages first of the planning process and ultimately you know is everybody on the same page with the goal right and then how do you get there and then Joe Sorcelli brings in Glenn to say, okay, let's see if we can modify this. Oh, it looks good. Well, the, you know, or, or which is, I think, one of the worst things in the world that you can get different pieces is when doorways are like 24 inches into bathrooms. Right? And then you look at, you know, can you move? And it's like, oh, wait a minute, we got to do an entire new bath to open the doorway up. Yep. Right? It, it, he's nodding his head. He's had this. Oh, many times. Right? That's one of the hardest things is whatever, for whatever reason, back in the 60s, they made 24-inch entries to bathrooms. They are not safe. Uh, you can, they can last for a period of time. But if you ever tried to walk through a, door, a 24-inch doorway with somebody, it doesn't work. Right. But again, this is Joe Saraselli coming to you from Aging Issues Radio, the podcast that's going to hopefully get you through the stages of life and retirement. Glenn, thank you very much. Pleasure. Thank you, Joe. We will talk more. Okay. All right. You've been listening to Aging Issues Radio and Joe Sorcelli. This podcast has been for informational and educational purposes only. It is not to be construed as financial or legal advice specific to your circumstances. If you need help with any matter, be sure to consult with an advisor regarding your specific needs. Thank you and tune in again.